0: Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast, and I'm the Managing Director of B Squared. If you have just found the podcast and you're a new listener, then welcome to the Sendcast. The Sendcast is a weekly podcast every Thursday designed to help reach lots of people, understand and learn more about special educational needs and disability. In this episode, I'm discussing conduct disorder, and why so little is talked about it, and I'm doing this with Finton O'Regan. Finton has been a regular on the podcast since the beginning, and he has been a head teacher, a lecturer for Leicester University, and now works as a and consultant for schools and school support systems. The sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are here to show progress for all pupils. And we can help schools show small steps of progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where a pupil isn't making progress or you have no idea what two children working below year one, we can help. But did you know you can use, also use our assessment software for more than just pupils with SEND. You can now assess all pupils in a primary school in one system. Saving you time, saving you money, simplifying the whole assessment and data process. It makes it so much easier to do. Visit the B squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me so I can take you through how our assessment software can help you now. Let's get on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing conduct disorder. Why is it not talked about more? My guest is Fintan O'Regan. Fintan is a training consultant for schools and school support systems, including social services, health, the police, and foster carers. And before this, he worked with a number of organizations, including NASEN, Institute of Education, Leicester University, the UK ADHD Network, and European ADHD Alliance. And before all of this, he was a head teacher of a specialist school for students with ADHD, ASD, and ODD, any more acronyms can I squeeze in? Probably not. Welcome back to the show, Finton. Delighted to be back, Dale. Lovely to see you again. Excellent. So you've titled this podcast "Conduct Order. Shh, don't mention it. And it is hardly discussed on Twitter or sent Facebook groups. How many people do you think are aware of conduct disorder?
1: Unfortunately, very few. And I think this is surprising because we have other terms now, as you've mentioned, and acronyms that you talked about, which are very well established and are very well you know, advertised or, or courses and training for particularly ADHD and oppositionally defiant disorder, pathological demand avoidance. But there's very little information out there, or, and it appears to me, knowledge about conduct disorder, even though it is a significantly well established trait, sorry, term. And the traits have been, al- you know, have been allocated in terms of the, this particular term for a number of years. And it's been in all the diagnostic statistical manuals one to five. So it is surprising that not many people are aware about it, not talking about it, and we need to basically square the circle with what we call sometimes non-premeditated behaviour with what is conduct disorder, which is premeditated behaviour.
0: So is that the definition of conduct disorder then? It's not a definition of conduct
1: disorder because there are a number of traits that um, are associated with the condition But one of the things, as categories within conduct disorder, they're broken down. But one of the areas is 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 definitely aggression, destruction of property, deceitfulness, or deceitfulness, deceitfulness. I can't speak today. It's been a while (laughs) since back in the studio, and theft, and the other ones are serious violations of rules. And I want to make the point again: this is not you know it's, it's not common, but it's not completely rare either. And in a, in, a, in a context of us talking about behavior, we do, I just need to make that point again, we just need to make sure that we are talking clearly about individuals who are non-premeditated, who, of which we would say ADHD impulsivity is one of the core issues, whereas people who have, you know, deliberate and prolonged and to a certain extent established aggressive traits and some of the others, other areas mentioned in that, you know, within within the actual term itself.
0: But is that, that, it's the premeditated part, which is a big difference because ADHD or anything else, it is very much in the moment, impulsive, egged on, all of that stuff. And most times, if you look around the school, it's going to be a situation just kind of evolved, got sparked off from somewhere, it happened. Whereas this is premeditated, it's going to happen, they've known for a while.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we take the analogy of someone
0: with ADHD,
1: maybe taking something or, you know, being involved in, in, a, in an act of theft, because, generally speaking, they're non-premeditated, they're non-planners, they're not particularly successful thieves, because they leave a trail behind them, which is pretty easy to, to pick up. Someone with conduct disorder will plan it, will be calculating, will, will, will you know, will conduct the deed. And will be very hard to catch because the planning and the premeditation have have gone into that. And if you talk to the police when it comes to school exclusion about who the people are, who the people are, are you know, are caught and charged by the police, the police will always tell you if it come, if it's talking about a gang, they tend to catch the followers, the impulsive ones, the the ones who will do the risk taking behaviours. And those, you, you might well say, fit much more into the ADHD category, whereas what they don't catch are the leaders, the people who are planning, the people who are setting out the, the goals for others to do, and those people would fall into this sort of category.
0: I suppose when you're talking about those gang leaders and the followers, is those gang leaders, they don't care about their followers. They're literally they're just pawns on a board to them.
1: Very much so. I mean, one of the characteristics of, of conduct disorder is the lack of remorse, the lack of empathy. You know, you, we're talking about people here who, who are controlled in, in, in their actions and, you know, who have aggression but without, without empathy. And, and, and that makes that individual, as you say, much less likely to care about the consequences of others and, as I said, protect themselves, if you like, from detection because others will, will, be, will, will take the rap for them.
0: I'm literally just going through all the times I've got in trouble in my life, and that, was a, that took a long time to go through in my head. And they're all impulsive. They're all kind of spur-of-the-moment stupid things you did, either alcohol fueled or, or when I was younger not alcohol fueled, but generally it was impulsive. And sometimes you talked about when they borrow things from school, they might leave signs or they literally might get caught in the middle of the act and have to try and make up an excuse. And they're always rubbish excuses because they haven't thought about it. Yeah, I mean, Dale, that doesn't surprise me <laughs>
1: whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of things I'd like to say here, you know, uh, so that the, the, the I'll come back to that point now, but I want to make this issue about where you know. I mean, none of us really, in our training, especially in my years, had any information about conduct disorder. It was a term that I only really came across probably first time about twenty years ago, and that was when I became the head of the Centre Academy, or wasn't the head initially. I was a teacher at Centre Academy, and in those days, you know, we ADHD, for example, was not a term that was was understood or talked about very much, because in those days we had for behavior and this was in the code of practice and you know we had the ebd term you know you know emotional behavior difficulties so we said all behaviors were classified under this huge umbrella of ebd emotional behavior difficulties which otherwise was referred to sometimes as extremely blooming difficult every blooming day and what happened was ebd obviously went through an evolution of change in terms of names it was, we then, that was We moved into the period then where we started to talk about being very punitive with parents in terms of getting the parents to control their children. And these are the days of ASBOs and ABCs, and, and we found out that that didn't work. But Because then, then we put the S into EBD. It became social, emotional, behavioural difficulties. And actually, that S never really found its place. It kind of moved around because sometimes it was EBSD and sometimes it was BESD. In, in Scotland, by the way, which I believe you're going to at some point, they used to call it S-E-B-D. And once I quipped and I was up there, it wasn't social and emotional behaviour difficulties. It was Scottish emotional behaviour difficulties, <laughs> and which didn't go there well. And now, of course, we have the term social, emotional and mental health, which I think is a much better term. But what, where I'm going to with this what i quite what i quite sort of what i found fascinating was that the americans in particular they didn't have a term ebd or a collected term or sebd or semh what they what they had done was they'd looked at non premeditated impulsive behavior which essentially was adhd pushback behavior which was really arguing all the time it's not my fault it's you know get out of my place which we now would refer to as oppositional defiant disorder and, and this different term, which was talking about premeditated, cold calculating, you know, individuals with no remorse and empathy called conduct disorder. And and the approach you would take for someone who's non-premeditated versus someone who is premeditated is different.
0: Definitely. And I, I, I do like those three categories that make sense to me because there's one is you just do it. The ODD, the PDA is... You may it's saying it's kind of may have been premeditated, not long term, I'm gonna do it and I did it, but it's not my fault. That sort of thing is another bit which I may have done in my youth that I, I felt justified in doing it, but I would argue it, whereas that that compulsive disorder is you wouldn't even feel you need to justify it, would you? absolutely not absolutely right. and
1: going back to you Dale i mean you 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 know i'm just thinking of you know you being a child and 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 me being a teacher or someone else being a teacher for you and i'll, I'll give you the i'll give you another way of looking at the the three terms the ADHD ODD and and conduct disorder as you know i'm a big fan of reducing boredom but essentially that's going to happen sometimes but if your back is turned in a class and someone throws a pen across the room if you turn round, you could spot the child with ADHD pretty quickly. It would be you, Dale. Yep. And, and if you tried to cover up, you just you wouldn't do it very well because you're kind of a likable. You're a bit of a lovable rogue, likable rogue. And 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 at some point, you, and you're not a good liar because to, to be a liar, a good liar, you have to sequence it. You have to be pre. You got to know the steps of what you need to do in order to justify what your actions are and how to get away with it. And sometimes we know which one. They'll just tell you they did it because they know that you'll walk through their story. So the child with conduct disorder, he or she, if you back his turn, has got a plan. They've got an alibi. You know what the alibi will usually be? The kid with ADHD sitting beside them. They're the ones that are going to get it in the neck. And the ones with oppositional defiant disorder, they're a bit easier to spot than them than the ones with conduct disorder, but they're much easier to spot than the ones than less easy to spot than the ones with ADHD. But it doesn't really matter if you spot them anyway because while, when you've got them to tell you why they threw the pen across, they'd have twisted it all around and made it seem as if it was your fault because it was a boring lesson, which is why they threw the pen in the first place. You know, they are the defence lawyers of the future. You're not going to get much traction out of them. So does that give you a kind of like a, a breakdown of the different types of individual who you might meet that follow these these traits?
0: I like that analogy because it is it's that response when they're caught will tell you a lot about that. And that, yeah, that it wasn't me, it was someone else. It was their fault, which basically is gonna help you work out who the rest of the people were, which is brilliant. But yeah, there were kids like that in school. There were always these kids who kind of couldn't cope with it blame sitting on them. They had to. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I think the the
1: the you know and, and and why this is important is you know because we not we don't want to sort of go around labeling people with you know conducts or in particular, and the reason why it's not talked about because it is gritty. I've just described some things there. You know, I mean these are the people who you know are they cruel to animals for example. That's one of the one of the one of the one of the categories within within the aggression um, section. You know, and, and these would be the sort of individuals who would you know put the cat in the microwave knowing what's going to happen to the cat versus a child with ADHD that might put a wet cat in the microwave in order to dry. You know, the intention is different. I'm not, I'm hopefully no, no cat lovers out there are thinking this is going to happen, but the intent is different. And, and the reason why it's, it's important is because if we don't at least acknowledge and to a certain extent assess for premeditated behavior, it's not going to go away it's not going to go away. And individuals who have practiced these kinds of, you know, these acts as children will then become adults at some point. And then obviously, you know, some of the variables and some of the options for what they may may do as an adult can be very worrying, very
0: worrying indeed. So if we go back to, I'm going to use the cat in the microwave because that, again, not the best analogy, not the nicest mm. analogy, but it's that thing of when that child with ADHD wet cat microwave because it warms and yeah, great, not great, but there's a logic somewhere. Mm. It's when you find out how they react is going to be very different to that cold calculated. They, 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 they'll be indifferent. Whereas that child with ADHD will be going, I did it for this reason. I didn't mean to, and they'll be very different. And what you're saying is, is, the difference is we then got to respond to that differently yeah absolutely i mean i mean
1: terms are terms and these are terms again that we might not might not be around in 15 years time you know and and they weren't around to a certain extent you know well they were around 15 years ago actually people just didn't recognize them because they looked at certain terms which were which were how can i put it not not safer, but they were, they were less gritty than, than, than this term. And I want to make the point, you know, that all those terms have, have been in the, in the diagnostic and manuals for, for a while. But the, but the way in which you might react or, or support someone with ADHD and conduct disorder it will be different. For example, we tend to, you know, whether we, whichever system you're using, whether you're a child, or whether you're an adult for that matter, there's a carrot and stick element to what, to what, what we do. And what we do tend to know is that obviously we want to be looking at rewards in order to uh, moderate behaviour and to distract people from doing negative things. And rewards are very good, as we know, but there has to be consequences as well. But just to give to the difference, between with, with ADHD in particular, we, what we do tend to know is that consequences and sanctions don't particularly work very well at changing the behaviour next time. And the reason being because they're impulsive, and generally speaking, the first time they think about it, they've already done it. So to a certain extent, rewards are often a better method of distracting them to do something in a more positive way. But if you are calculating and cold, and to a certain extent a planner, then the value for what we're talking about, use the term conduct disorder, then the value of rewards is still better. We want to change that behavior. But but then consequences or sanctions might have more traction because they're weighing up what may happen if they do it or not because they they have more focus on what the sanction or consequence might be. So to a certain extent, which goes back to the fact that they're better planners, but at the same time, you know, having a different response to this particular approach
0: might actually support them in a way that doesn't support others. I'm going to get you to analyse Stephen Fry now because I read one of his, I think he's got various autobiographies, one of them I was reading, I can't remember the name, it was a weird name, but it was about his younger years. And it was about when he was at school and he went to a boarding school and there was the cane. He loves sweets and there was a sweet shop in the town and you were not allowed to go to the sweet shop. But what he would do is he would go to that sweet shop, he would always get sweets and split them up. So if he had to empty a pocket, he'd empty it only half. And he would eat them in the lock in the changing rooms. So it was quiet, and people didn't go there. So he literally worked out his whole entire plan, and he knew that if he got caught, he would get the cane. But and he would get caught. I can't remember it was twenty five percent or fifty. He would get caught, and he would get caned. But what's interesting to him is the he would rather have the sweets that that reward over the punishment. He is worth the gamble. He, he rolled the dice every time. I could get caught. But he'd also had this plan. And So, I, go on then. What, what, what would happen after that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, you're talking about someone who really does like sweets. <laughs> I mean, and someone who really is prepared to take on the consequences of having sweets and was obviously very strategic about the, presumably, the compensation you know, of, of them, really, and was planner. Now what does that where does that put Stephen Fry in this category? It's quite an interesting one. I, I don't know necessarily whether or not he would meet the criteria because I just want to make this point. with all of these things that we're talking about with, as with with ADHD and oppositional fight disorder and, and autistic spectrum condition, you know, these are actions that people are taking over a prolonged period of time that are disproportionately in terms of what other people will do of a similar age and stage. This isn't something that's happening once in a while. This is a sustained pattern of behaviors over a period of at least six months in two or more places to be maladaptive and inconsistent with developmental level. So in order for us to sort of like call, say that someone has conduct disorder, this isn't just one act or in one situation. It's a sustained period of aggression, destruction of property, effective. You know, deceit and theft and serious violations of rules. You know, we're talking of people who, to a certain extent, have an antisocial behavior disorder as well. That's another term that's bandied around, which some people think um, is actually used instead of but it's something that like i said before you know I, and this is not an easy conversation to have with any parent for example because no parent in my experience will want their child to be diagnosed with conduct disorder and and i wish that you know we, we didn't have to necessarily look at, that, at at that term either but it is important for us as i said before to square the circle let me give you an example if if for example we know that someone has some, some behavioral differences and and we have them assessed. And if we're just looking at, at one or two terms that appear to be more palatable, and at the moment, as we know, I mean, I, I tell the story that, you know, ADHD now is not seen in the way it was, you know, 20 years ago. I mean, I'm, I'm still going to tell you about that story, Dale. I may have mentioned before. And Ed Sykes said to me about 15 years ago, we don't have ADHD here in Surrey, but I think they have it in Liverpool, though. So obviously we know that this is not an excuse, it's an explanation, it's not a socioeconomic factor, it goes across the whole range. But, but what we do have then, so we have this understanding now and acceptance and to a certain extent there are, there are many support options for individuals who are assessed and diagnosed with ADHD. One of them being, being stimulant medication. Now, stimulant medication, as we know, is very effective at helping people focus and, to a certain extent, helping them to have self-regulation over their impulsive actions. But let's just say we have someone whose traits are much more akin to conduct disorder, and that's, and, but they're diagnosed as ADHD and they're prescribed medication. Well... What you can therefore extrapolate from this is that those people will, will, you know, they've got intentional acts anyway. They're planners. If they're giving medication, they're going to only be more effective at, at implementing those acts because they're still going to get, you know, greater focus and any impulsive actions which are generally reduced individuals like this anyway are going to be reduced even more. Which is why i I you know as much as it might not be an easy term to um talk about or or even assess um that it, you know it's still important for us i feel to be a- addressing and talking about it
0: and what that's the thing that's what we're really saying here is we're not saying oh he's not naughty he's just got conduct disorder it's all right what we're saying is this is what conduct conduct disorder looks like and if you're kind of trying to support it in the same way you would do ADHD, you're kind Correct. of making Correct. it worse. Yeah. You're basically making them even better planners. So consequences have to happen, but the way you support it has to be completely different.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, 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 in a way, you know, when we get down to the nub of this, people say, well, what do you do? And, In in a way, I think that it's 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 a it's a quite a long route back. If someone has had a history of sustained premeditation in terms of their behaviour, it's not going to change overnight. This is you know, what what you will need to do is do the deeper dive here. I think in the students that I've met over the past, the main thing, the main thing that has that has affected change in them is changing their role models. Because usually the people for whom they aspire to are not the sort of people who who necessarily will 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 be how can I put it will pillars of society they will be pillars you know people who have done some acts that are, are basically antisocial so you've got to change the role models and, and that's why I'm a big fan of when children are you know are you know to get into a different a different to get into a sport get into music get into technology change the role models change the aspirations change the outcomes because Again, I'm I'm going to put this in some other perspective. When you change the the sort of like the environment where they're in, they are good planners. They are well-organized. They can be very effective at doing lots and lots of positive things too. And there is an argument sometimes that, you know, some people in high business elements have traits that, that also pertain to this type of learning style, if you like. So we're not saying that all people have traits of any one condition or other. But the, the key is, is, is because what happens, is especially when they're younger, they do tend to aspire to follow the, the role models for whom are necessarily are not good role models. So changing the role models, changing the sort of environment, giving them a different perspective in order to use their skills is, is actually really important.
0: So I suppose role models is a really interesting term because often it is going to be their parents or someone they know they look up to. You don't always look up to your parents, and that might change. But you might have a favourite football or something. But you might have someone. But sometimes, if they're, and I suppose I'm going to children in care where you haven't got that constant person. Do they find a role model from somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, and look, we
1: don't know what causes this these traits. You know, I mean, is it nature? Is it nurture? I suspect that if we are really sort of having to hang our hat somewhere it is it is more likely to be as a result of nurture or lack of nurture lack of attachment lack of warmth lack of understanding rapport in other people which might mean that they they therefore develop if you like really this kind of attitude towards other people and society but there's no there's no direct information or or, or research on that but the main thing is, is that if they're not getting this, this from home, then who else can do this? And yeah, it can be it can be the football coach. You know, that's why I'm a big fan. And because what happens, is, as I said before, these are the leaders of the gangs. You know, these are, and, and and the idea is, but they're usually in those, as in they're in the wrong gangs. Get them in a different gang. Football's a gang. A band and the music's a gang. You know, joining a technology club is a gang. You know, get them in a different gang and the individuals who can influence that are usually the leaders of those gangs the football coach the sort of you know the the music the maybe the you know someone who's a producer in a band i know we're talking of high end areas here but it can also be a member of the clergy it can be it can be a family friend it, it can be you know an, a, a significant other adult they've met on their journey and often teachers can be those role models they can recognize that those issues in individuals and and they can also be, you know, those those people who can really change the outcomes.
0: I suppose again, it's for these children, and I'm especially thinking younger children, is they just they don't understand the world around them. They don't understand that this is a bad crowd, this is a good crowd. They won't be able to understand that this what this person's doing is bad, what this person's doing is good. They're just seeing actions and probably because of these sort of anti-social, struggling to weigh up if that's good action or bad behavior type thing. And so by you helping them put them in someone like a football club or anything like that, where actually they are surrounded by people who every Friday or whatever it is, they do their training and their matches. Actually, it's a really nice supportive thing and they're part of something. They want to be there and it will make them want to be there. That is removing them from that being alone and planning.
1: Absolutely. And again, you know we're, th- these this is not a fate accompli. We're not saying that you know, even if we're using this term to describe some actions or traits that you know that this person is 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 always going to develop into a much more higher level sort of aspect of this. There's always ch- there's always hope. And I've worked with individuals who, as I said before, you know, probably fit more in this area. But but to a certain extent, it has been. It's usually been a significant adult that has changed. I mean, I can. I mean, I was I was a, there's a couple of lads, and we've all have examples. But there was a lad i have going to call Dan, and he was a 13 year old lad, charming. And this is the other thing: can sometimes be charming. It can be cold and calculating, but can also be be charming. And when I was a science teacher, I used to obviously to measure chemicals and things. I had a set of electronic scales. Now this was back in. You know, and they're not cheap electronic scales now, and they certainly weren't cheap, you know, when they first came out because there wasn't many of them. But it was, per se, it was like 300 pounds back in 1989, whatever. I don't know what they'd be now. But Dan stole my scales. I knew he'd stolen my scales. Everyone in the class knew Dan had stolen my scales. But you know what? There was no way I could prove it. There was no way I could prove it. There was no trace. No one would cave because he was a bit of a leader of the gang. His parents were probably afraid of him, and they were no help. And so, therefore, and he would look at me with this way of, you know, but he, you couldn't break it down. You, could, there was no chink in his armor. He was, he was good. I have to be honest, he was good. So, how do you get your pair of how do you get a pair of electronic scales back when you when you when you need them when you want to, you know, and you, you can't afford to buy another another pair, and you know someone has got them, and it is not easy, but it was so hard. You know, it's, but what I decided was I decided, I, you know, I decided to go out on a, on a different and I couldn't actually it started off by mistake. So Friday afternoon is when I had this particular group and Friday afternoon, as we all know, is a difficult time of the week to sort of like to, to teach in. And the kids quite liked because we always did labs, always did experiments. But the first Friday came up, wanted to do something, but I couldn't do it because I didn't have my scales. And, and then, then people were moaning and groaning, oh, we've got to do writing and stuff. So the next week, again, I thought, right, okay, I could have done something actually without scales, but I just said, look, I can't do this. Exp- I need to do it. It's really important for whatever reason. I haven't got my scales. This happened for about two or three Fridays or maybe three Fridays in a row. And you know what happened? On the fourth Friday, my scales appeared back. Now, I, you know... It, it wasn't so much that I had done anything. I think by this stage, the group had probably sort of, you know, been sort of like being on his case and saying, look, you know, these are really boring and stuff. No one was going to cake. No one was going to. So I got my scales back and, you know, and, 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 and we moved on. And there was nothing I could do about it. There was nothing I could discipline him for because I still couldn't prove that he'd stolen the scales. Now, what he was using them for. In the, in, the, in, the, in, you know, in the interim, I, I can only think, you can guess about that. But, you know, he was good. He was good. And to a certain extent, we did have a little bit of a, a better rapport after that. And I can give you an example, by the way, if you want to know about one way. If there's a, someone who's a very hard-to-reach student, one of the things I would suggest is that it, you might not want to but with this lad, I, I do remember, even though I got my, there was a mutual, not I can't say I appreciated it, but I did respect the fact that he had, he had power, he had control, he, he was good at what he was doing. But one week, I, I remember I, I do a lot of park runs, he had his, he had his rucksack on his on little rucksack, and it was a small rucksack. And I said to him, where'd you get that from? I don't know what was in it, by the way. And he said such and such. And I said, all oh, right, okay, anyway. And and then I said, well, you know, how much is it, whatever? And he said, well, whatever. And then uh, he showed me online about how, where he got it. And I then sort of went online myself and bought one of these, brought them in and was saying, oh, thanks for that type of thing. That was useful. And, you know, after that, we had a better click because there was something I'd recognized that he had I didn't, you know, I took an interest in it. He took a slight interest in me taking interest in that and, and we we got we got on a bit better, you know. I mean, it is all about trying to get rapport and even if you, as a hard to reach student, have a go. Have a, ha- go for a spin and just find, you know, and you might well find that it really does pay a lot of dividends afterwards.
0: So with, Conduct disorder, it sounds a bit, with all the planning, it sounds a bit obsessive. It sounds a bit, I want to do something and I'm going to use all my energy. And I suppose if we give them those different role models and those different groups to be in, we're kind of changing it into, actually, you have really good, almost compulsive, obsessive skills, but actually, rather than doing it to do negative things, you can use it in a positive way because you obviously have this ability to plan and do and think and all this stuff. And if we can just change it from being a negative thing they're planning to doing to a more positive thing, which then has rewards and positive consequences, Correct. that will change their behavior. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, again,
1: it's, and you've done a great job also at taking the sort of the tone and the vibe of this and making it, it very different, Dale. But that that is absolutely right. Now it's not an easy, it's not an overnight thing. It's not a weekend job. This it's a long term job. But in 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 theory, yeah, the answer is true. They're they're generally speaking, not they don't want to say they're all super bright, but they're pretty good at what they do. If you can change the emphasis and the you know the sort of interest level of how they are using their skills, you can indeed you know be be very successful in other fields, which are you know, less antisocial and more beneficial to society.
0: Well, I issue that that the tone of the conversation is when, when, I, when you look at children out and you see children misbehaving or do that is, I think when I was younger, I saw them as being naughty little things and parents do something. And then as you get older, you kind of realise it's a lot more complicated than that. And generally, child, children are products of their environment they have their own they have those seeds put in them mm. through the mm. nature mm. but it's the environment can help that grow and flourish or not grow and and it is so simple to say this is it but problem is as parents we all have our own issues yeah so we're living in a world where most of us two people two parents have to work and depending on where you live in the country the pressure and all that sort of stuff so it's not just a child's naughty, parents should know what to do, parents should have the patience and the time to do what is the right thing for that child. That can't really happen in most situations. So children are kind of the product of their environment and the parents are generally doing the best that they know. Absolutely.
1: And, you know, and, and I, I think, you know, there's no template for this. As you say, the pressures of society, the pressures financially at the moment are, uh, you know, the, we also have, uh, you know, the COVID element where developmental issues have been affected through that. You might argue that parents had more time than spend with their children, but they weren't socially. You know, there's all sorts of variables like that. And there's the other pressures as well. There's other pressures of, of influences from, you know, various sources. You know, let's not, let's not miss, miss the opportunity to, to mention some of the, the, the influences that children have right now on the net. But whoever comes along, whether it's the, the present guy Andrew Tate or whatever, I was reading some He's not the cause of this. He's just a symptom. And and if he's not saying what he says, there'll be other people who will say something. It's not he is not by himself the the major issue. He, he's more of a symptom of 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 an environment in which some particular boys find themselves in. And this is a different and maybe a separate conversation. But but there is some elements of. Of of behaviours that that definitely are are not necessarily we would not say as are, are all socially acceptable, which certain people are are hearing from certain people who are what they are by very definition called influencers.
0: That's the thing is I think there's something which makes what Andrew Tate says acceptable and believable to some people and that's the issue so it's not what Andrew says is the issue it's the fact that people believe him so there's something wider which is going on jeremy and that that will be down to you know the the
1: nurture element you know of 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 what you what you do I mean I you know we talk about you know it, it, he does appear to be very much an influencer of boys uh, you know there obviously are other characters I'm not very I'm not very fait with the world of, of this but you know, obviously, girls will have influences too in and, and different ways. But I always go back to Bill Rogers's, um, not Bill Rogers, Steve Bidduff's book, Raising Boys, which actually is still a, a, a really good book. And, and two things in there, I'm just going to say. He says, Boys are, generally speaking, want to know three main things. They want to know who's in charge, what are the rules, and how they're going to be enforced. He's basically saying they like stru- structure and they like routine, which is why one of the things I think when they do, if they are excluded from school, what do they do? A they, they, lot of them do go and join a gang because what's a gang got? Rules, structure, who's in charge? But the other thing he says is that, you know, in terms of boy development, he says up to about three or four, it's very much the mum. Then after about four or five, up to 11, it's very much dad. You know, that's you know I want to be a train driver. I want to be it's dad's what dad's doing. And then at 11, 12, you know, they then tend to sort of their influences are their friends or other ones now that we've just mentioned are on different mediums. So, the point is that if mum or dad are not that involved, if you like, up to those periods of 11, they're going to use other influences. And as you say, then they're going to be more susceptible to those other influencers than they would be when if they've had that, what you'd say, a traditional trajectory whereby the ballast, if you like, is, is, is within them, it's being taught. So at 12, and, and, and any, any child at 11 or 12, if someone says to them, oh, you can smoke this or smoke that, will, will, will be, you know, weighing up, you know, whether they should or whether they shouldn't. And what you hope is that the ballast that they've had in them up to 11 from what you've done makes them make a different decision you know it makes them give you gives gives you that moral compass if you like really to make a different decision it still might happen but it's less likely to than if you haven't had that ballast in you up until then and you've been influenced by other factors
0: that is very i, I remember my kids realizing that basically you have until the end of primary school to set a load of morals and expectations and question things and don't just do something because others are doing it because the moment they arrive at secondary school you have no idea who they're mixing with. You've got less control. There's, They walk home on their own. There's a load of unst- unstructured, unsupervised time that you have no impact on and cannot have any impact on, and you've got to trust them. Totally. I, I, I still think
1: it's the biggest Jump they ever make from primary to secondary for all those reasons you've mentioned, and uh, you don't meet them at the gate anymore. They, they come home by themselves, and and the influence, and you've got like a range of kids there, much older. You know, you've got so many variables taking place, and yeah, and 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 some people will will, you know, will succeed in that environment. Other people will have. Will be more vulnerable for a whole range of issues, and you know it is a, it is the big it's a much bigger jump than leaving leaving secondary to go to college or leaving secondary to go to employment. I think that's the really big jump, and what, what you've done or what you haven't done in those you know and you talk about you talked about children in care and things like that who probably some of them you know will will obviously the risk element for those individuals is going to be to a certain extent greater. Based on the fact, or might might not be as well. It could be the other way around. But the fact they might have had different, you know, different sets of parents during that element, as opposed to one settled set who were giving them the same sort of messages over a period of time. Hopefully, positive messages will obviously will obviously be a factor as well.
0: And what we're talking about here is is not kind of saying, oh, it's all okay. We, we kind of talk about the reasons why this may happen, or all these sort of things. Is comes back like your three rules who's who's in charge, what are the rules is you still have to kind of follow that, yeah? So these are the rules, yeah. And you've broken that rule, that here are the consequences. Kind of what comes it's it's what's next. After that consequence has happened, it's the next step. And that is I think people think consequences is the end. No. It's you've dealt with that one situation. What you've now got to do is prevent that from happening again. And with some impulsive stuff, that might be some being more flexible with the rules. Yeah, that reasonable adjustment. But I, I guess that's not what would help someone with this. we're talking about today is that being flexible with the rules isn't going to help them.
1: No, I mean, you know, as you say, consequences can be used in a way which is to try and, you know, make or get someone to recognize that the choice that they've made has not been a very good choice. And to a certain extent, you know, that it's not that needs to be, you know, pointed out. And the thing about it is, is that people can change. People do change. I think, generally speaking, people change not because of what you do, but usually who does it or who says it or who basically delivers it in a way that makes sense to them, which is why I go back to, you know, it's the role model element of this which is really important. We all know that, you know, some kids won't take it from you, their parents, or you, a teacher, but they'll take the same thing that you're saying from somebody else. And it's and it's not always for you to take it personally. It's the fact that you know they won't take it from you, but they'll take the same message exactly from someone else. So I think it is very much. It's not as I say. It's very important for us. It's not always not just the consequence, really. It's it's who's involved in the process that that will be probably even more important than than what is the the method itself or the the issue itself.
0: So on a previous podcast, I think it was a pair of mood. We talked about how kind of. How if if someone has done something wrong and you send them to head teacher's office and they wait outside for 10 minutes, their anxiety is going to build up and they're going to explode. When what you want to say is actually, that's it's probably better to send them to a TA. So it's less of a confrontation. It's less of they're going to blow. It's a more accommodating accepting. Now, I suppose ADHD, that's what sort of, that impulsive, that works really well. How does that work with conduct disorder? Do you still want the head teacher or are you still going down the TA route?
1: Well let, let let's let's make the point that some head teachers are absolutely the right person to use that at that time as well. And particularly if it's something of a of an extremely sort of antisocial level, then you know, it is it is right and proper to use the senior management team in terms of recognizing that issue. I think it'd be unfair for a for a TA to maybe deal with with issues which are you know really potentially school fixed term exclusion level, for example. Having said that, in the interim period where that person is about to, what we're trying to do is reduce the level of what they're doing. I mean, I think we were really saying there someone might be sent to a sent to a head teacher who's thrown a chair across the room, and 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 that that could accelerate into that you know that was what it, it, sometimes for certain individuals they are. And the more hierarchical figure can raise the anxiety, can therefore therefore raise the pressure on them. so they might you know they might tell the teacher to go fly a kite, but they'll tell the head teacher go fly a kite higher, and when that happens, the system has to take over to yeah. discipline that child in that in that level, whereas somewhere the less hierarchical figure might get the mood down so the head teacher can get involved later. But if it's a serious violation of a rule, then I think and generally speaking, make this point again, people with conduct disorder traits, generally speaking, not 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 necessarily will be as anxious or, or will have that anxiety element of it. In fact, they might like the opportunity to justify their actions in a way which someone else might find completely, you know, their their point of view is is completely incorrect. But you know, they might like the opportunity to, to explain their actions. They are as i said they are more cold and calculating and considered and so from that point of view i would suspect the route would still be the the route to the senior management team because usually the usually the issues we're talking about will be at a at potentially you know a, a behavioral action or a behavioral consequence that might involve you know some type of fixed term exclusion, which, as you know, I'm not for, but in some cases we have to acknowledge the fact that in order to keep staff safe and keep keep you know keep keep the system running, and also to recognise the issue in in so much as of you know the security and safety of pupils and staff at the school, and also to get the parents engaged who may, in some cases, let's face it, we have we haven't really said this, but may not may be reluctant to be involved because, maybe some of their role model actions are, are not necessarily, you know, very positive either. But we you know we, we need do we need to get the parents involved in the process in order to have a chance of changing the choice that this child may make in the future.
0: And I know some of the sound very generalizing, but I'm guessing with the conduct disorders that is more going to be fixed-term inclusions because it is premeditated, it's planned. It's not just an off the cuff once thing it's more likely to be a fixed term because of what's happened and the amount of effort has got into it. Yeah, I mean, we go to this issue where,
1: you know, and actually I would go, it it could well be, you know, if you know the, the the information is right and if you know the, the sort of like the the research on the incident has has shown you know this individual being involved it could actually you know also be a permanent exclusion because the sort of the elements of things that we've been discussing are usually at at that level and you know as i said we what we know with fixed term and permanent exclusions the biggest reason is non premeditated impulsive behavior persistent disruptive behavior the the irony of irony is of course that these are the students who are harder to catch <laughs> yes. you know so because of that issue you know they may go uh, unseen but usually you know some of the areas that we've mentioned within the sort of like spectre here could well be i mean these aren't the drug takers these are the drug dealers if you see what i mean you yeah. know these are the ones who are running 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 the show so at that level obviously you know you would probably be looking at you know at, at some uh, pretty
0: pretty definitive consequences I suppose you at that sort of point where probably police maybe get involved because it is a much bigger thing than just what's going on in the school.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting, the police, and actually I remember going somewhere at a, a rugby club and we were talking about the prison wardens there and they were talking. And they asked me what I did and, and stuff. It was a rugby after rugby game or whatever. And the prison ward was said to me, "What is what is you know what do you do?" And I said I was talking about and I was saying praying with ADHD. Is it ADHD? That's a load of oh, rubbish. Does not believe is it? They said to me, "What is it?" So I described what it was and things. And then he called his his mate across. Says Jack, Jack, he's talking about Jim. He's talking about Jim. This bloke's talking about Jim. I had no idea who Jim was. But he, Jim, he was like in and out of prison. He was cheeky chappy. They all liked him. He couldn't help himself. He was in and out. He was a, this nice bloke. And he said, he's talking about these other blokes who have this, who, 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 who says they're, they're different. <laughs> is that that conduct disorder thing? And I said, yeah, that might be a trait for it. They'd recognize individuals who had different traits, those that were sort of, you know, Unfortunately, not very good at what they were doing, and were in and out. But didn't they didn't have malice in them? They didn't have you know that that sense of aggression in them, versus those that were more hardened, you know, calculating individuals. And we're not to say again that this is a phase that people go through this thing. I mean, you mentioned naughty a while ago. I mean, I think let's let's put this in perspective. You know, I. You know, we, we, we've got a spectrum here of what we call people who are naughty versus people who are using this term common. There's a lot of space in between. But just to work, use the word naughty, I define naughty as someone who is premeditated. They know what they're doing and doing it anyway. Whereas, you know, someone who has a is non-premeditated, the first time I think about it, they've already done it. So that's a very low level, isn't it? Naughty. But I as I say, I define someone who's the word naughty as someone who knows what they're doing and does it anyway, which is, you know, to a certain extent different from someone who at the first time they think about it, they've already done it.
0: I think when I think of the word naughty, I'm thinking of young kids, really yeah, exactly. young kids. And you exactly. watch this kid is going, he knows if he goes and gets that crisp yeah. out the couple going to get. But he does it anyway, and yeah. it's kind of, yeah. it's yeah. kind of going. Well, I want that, yeah. but you haven't worked out that actions have consequences yet. Yeah. Yeah. And at some point, you yeah. works it out, and kind yeah. of kids yeah. stop being naughty. Yeah. Well, basically, they're held,
1: they're held by the consequence, if you like. Really, the, the consequence then is actually, to a certain extent, recognised. And as you say, with that maintaining of that, the, you know, there's the immaturity of actions, isn't it? You could say that as well. But there are some individuals will get to 13 or 14 who you could also say are naughty because they are starting even though they know what the consequence they have maturation there but they're still they're still calculating to do something even though they know what what it's going what's going to happen and that again it can be a one off situation testing the boundaries testing the teacher's approach to things but if it becomes sustained over a period of time that is therefore, you know, uh, is, is is basically consistently done, then it moves into new territory. But
0: I think, yeah, we move into new ter- – I mean, once they get past kids, we move into new terms for naughty. And yeah. it is, But it's interesting. Every time I hear the word naughty is when you're over 18 and it's a very different thing, but we're not going to go into that. No, it, it, there is there are other <laughs> words that we would
1: use for this. And again, you know, as I said before, we know there's lots of terms out there. We're not trying to sort of like – you know, uh, go around and, 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 and labelling a whole new set of people. That's not what we're doing. Uh, what I'm really trying to say to a certain extent is that we had a term, you know, we have a term, social, emotional, mental health. We have a number of terms within that that we need to identify and explore. ADHD is very well established now. Oppositional defiant disorder is very established. But no one is talking about conduct disorder. And and we can't ignore it because it's 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 an aspect that we need to consider in order to give people the right support, give give those who are working in schools and, and parents, if you like, the right advice about how to support young people to 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 change those actions and so they're used in in much more positive ways.
0: Definitely. I'm gonna wrap it up there. That's a really good note to end on. It is those you come back to those three. And you talked about the differences in kind of how they respond and things like that. And it is important to, when you are working with children, to think about how are they responding to what's going on. And that will help you think about, actually, that isn't an ADHD type of response. This is different. I need to support them differently. Finn given me a couple of links to share. So they'll be going in the show notes as usual. And you'll be finding all the links, and contact details, and other things in the show notes, which you can find wherever you listen to the website, wherever you listen to the podcast, or you'll find them on the website. So, thank you for listening to the show. Please share us on social media. Let other people know about the podcast. On Twitter, we are at the Sendcast. On Facebook, the Sendcast. On Instagram, the Sendcasts. All nice and simple. And if you are struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long. Or you just want to see what is available, have a look at the B Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products and how they can help your school. We have a range of assessment products. It's not just one product, we've got lots of different frameworks for different abilities and different ages. Whether we talk about the engagement model, pre key stage standards, entry levels, life skills, anything like that, please get in contact. And you can also find out about our online training read our blog, watch our webinars. It is all on the B Squared website. And you'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me in the show notes as well. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from him. Bye.